Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all. Hope you are having a great morning. And what better way could you spend a Sunday than doing a survey together? So anyway, thank you for bearing with us. Hey, uh, we are in a series called We're Not Really Strangers. We've been looking at relationships and friendships. And at a time of deep disconnection, dislocation, it is so important that we contend and fight for relationships. All around us, we're surrounded by division, conflict, chaos, at both a macro and a micro level. Macro, we think of the war happening, Russia uh, invading Ukraine. In America, we're aware of the Roe versus Wade, this huge division around abortion. In the UK, there have been these high-profile court cases. Uh, We've had Wagatha Christie, Rebecca Vardy versus Colleen Rooney. There's Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. All around us, we are so acutely aware of a breakdown in friendship. But then every one of us here most likely will be carrying a friendship, a relationship where there is hurt and pain. And we know that in our community, in our church, there are marriages on the rocks. There are parents disconnected from their children. There are work colleagues at odds with one another. There are friendships that have fallen apart. And there are siblings who no longer speak to one another. Recent research has found that one in three Britons have fallen out with their friends and family during the pandemic because of the stress and strain of it. And so I've called this morning's talk, We Don't Talk Anymore. And some of you will remember the Cliff Richard song, Hands Up. Others of you, maybe a little cooler, will remember the Charlie Puth song. But everyone is welcome here. Division, disunity is all around and it breaks the heart of God. It devastates the father when he sees his children at war with one another. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this amazing thing in Matthew 5 verse 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. I love how Eugene Peterson phrases this verse in the message translation. He says, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. We live at a time where people do not know how to disagree well. People are so slow to forgive and reconcile and people are lacking tools for how to navigate hurt and pain in our relationships. But Jesus here says that when we become peacemakers, bridge builders, we will be blessed. God will delight over us. We will know his favor in our lives. In fact, he goes on to say, a key marker, a key distinctive of the people of God, the children of God, is that we would be peacemakers. That every time we forgive, every time we pursue restoration, reconciliation, we step into our God-given identity to be peacemakers. And in a world of war, We so urgently and desperately need peacemakers. We see Jesus in John 17 praying just before he will take the cross. 
And he is praying to his father and we see just the deep longing in his heart. And what is it he prays? John 17. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. Basically, that's you and me. We believe in Jesus Christ because of the teaching of the disciples. He says, I pray that you and me, Gas Street 2022, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The Father, Spirit, Son, dwelling in harmony is one and God's vision for us, for his church, for his people, for the world is that we would be at one. But living in unity, living in the midst of the chaos of our world is so hard and complicated, isn't it? And before I jump in to share some thoughts, I just want to preface it by saying I am not the expert here. I am not the relationship guru giving you advice. I'm a work in progress. Don't need to nod quite so vigorously, Rachel. Um, But also to say, this isn't about giving four quick steps. Do all of this and you'll never ever have relationship pain again. If only it were that simple. This is a journey and it's something we will commit to for the rest of our lives. Second thing is I wanna say this, is many here, you will have experienced extraordinary pain in a relationship. Maybe you've been at the, uh, on the other end of abuse, physical, sexual, verbal, psychological, spiritual. And reconciliation, just picking up where you were before, most likely would not be healthy and appropriate. But we all need to choose forgiveness. However much you've been harmed and wronged, being a child of God, forgiveness is not an additional extra part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's a necessity. It's what we're all called to. We have been forgiven to forgive. And I know that is hard, but we need to forgive. But also, we also need to recognize that for some, new, clear boundaries in a friendship where there's been hurt may well be the appropriate way forward. So that said, I want to share with you four things that I've been learning about how we can become peacemakers in a world of conflict. And the first thing is this. When you've been hurt, when you've been wronged, you make the first move. When there is fallout, when there is misunderstanding, you make the first move. Aren't you glad that God made the first move towards us to bring us home into his everlasting arms. Aren't you glad that Jesus stepped into the chaos of the world to forgive us and to restore us? I love the story of the prodigal son where this kid who disowns his father, steals his inheritance, rejects him and humiliates him and he goes off and he gets to an absolute desperate state. And he thinks, my only hope is to return home, to become a slave in my father's house. And as he's walking back, this walk of shame, the father is out looking and the father runs to the son. He throws his arms around him and he welcomes him home. He's not met with uh, judgment or he's not berated. He's accepted and welcomed home. And Jesus is saying, this is what your heavenly father is like. He's the one who comes to seek and save those of us who are lost. He leaves the 99 to find the one. Aren't you glad that God made the first move towards us? And so we, as the children of God, need to be a people that make the first move towards others who have hurt us. 
The author Rick Warren says, it is always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. That's so hard to live out, but it's so true. It is so rewarding to do the hard work of resolving a conflict. When you get easily offended, you're hurt, you're disappointed, it is so hard to not allow a sense of coldness to grab hold of your heart. We slowly drift away from the person. We stop returning their calls. Resentment begins to set in. And this distance, this chasm begins to grow between two friends. And it's such a shame. Could we agree as a church, as a family, to never be a community where we ghost one another? Where we just ignore someone when we feel hurt by them? I had a friend who... I don't know why, obviously he felt hurt, he suddenly just pulled away, stopped returning any text, and then you notice that they've unfollowed you on social media, the biggest disaster in a relationship, and, and then you're aware that clearly they're upset, but you have no way of understanding why, and it's just a horrible thing to be ghosted. When you are hurt, you make the first move. Don't just cut them off. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. The only way we resolve conflict is by facing it. So number one, you make the first move. Number two, in your relationships, give up the right to win. Give up the right to win. Misunderstanding, hurt, offense, they're so often exacerbated in friendship when we go in thinking, I've got to win this argument. I have been wrong. This person needs to apologize to me and I am going to make sure they know it. Now, I'm aware, some here today, you're immediately, someone's come to mind. <laughs> you're thinking, oh, that person, they need to hear this point. I'll, I'll forward this message on this afternoon. You know, they need to stop giving up the right. They always have to be right. They always have to have the final word. Some of you are sat next to someone you know pretty well, and you're thinking, you need to note this down. You need to write this in your notes. Give up the right to win. No, 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 no. You, you, you give up the right to win. Stop approaching conflict like battles where you have to get your point across. I can think about moments in my friendships where I've won the argument, I've won the discussion, but I've profoundly lost because I've caused hurt and pain and further separation. It's easy to point the finger. It's easy to see what's wrong in others but as Tebo was brilliantly challenging us last week, let's do the hard work under the inspiration of the Spirit to see, God, what is it in me that might have contributed to a breakdown in this relationship? What is it in me that gets so wound up by this person? What am I missing? Now, in my lifetime, I've dated, one, two, three, including Rachel, four women. Now, Rachel's dated... One, two, three, four. <laughs> 10, 20, 30. <laughs> Let's just say a few more than me. But uh, when you come to that moment... <laughs> so she's saying, shall we demonstrate how to resolve conflict? No. Um, 
when you come to the end of a relationship, and some of you have experienced this, some of you have perhaps said this, some of you have heard this said to you, what is the cliche we all say to that person? You sit down and you say to them, do you know what? It's not you, it's it's me. It's not you, it's me. But what do we really mean? It's not me, it is completely you. The way you eat so loudly, it really annoys me. That heavy breathing you do through your nose and the way you get stroppy over such silly things and the nagging, the endless nagging. It's not you, it's me. What if we actually lived like that? When we approach our relationships, actually, what is it in me? Before I start pointing fingers at you, what is it in me that is responding in a bad way, that is feeling so hurt? There are two key reasons why arguments exist. Number one, it's self-centeredness. Number two, it's pride. James 1 says this. James 4 verse 1, sorry, says this. Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from all the idiots around me. That's what we think. That is not what the Bible says. These arguments and fights, they come from the selfish desires that war within. That ego, that selfish desire that has to have things my way, on my terms. They have to be for my benefit, for my career, for my well-being, for my joy and pleasure. And so this self-centeredness means we treat people transactionally. Or there's pride, ego within us that means we are so sensitive. We get so hurt and offended so easily. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, pride only leads to arguments. If arguments seem to follow you around a lot, maybe there's some pride buried deep in your heart that you need to address. The philosopher Goethe once said, man sees in the world what they carry in their heart. So if anger and jealousy and insecurity and selfishness is swirling around deep within you, you're going to begin to see that in the world around you. You're going to project it onto every relationship, every context, your work, your home, your family, your sports clubs, and you're going to judge people through the lens in which you are living. Something might seem so clear, so obvious to you, but someone feels completely different. Hannah actually once said to us, someone's perception is their reality. That was so helpful. Someone's perception, what they think, what they feel, that is their reality. That's life. That's black and white, binary. That's how it works. But this is where we collide because we're seeing things so differently. And peacemakers, children of God, do the hard work of trying to understand from the other person's point of view, trying to see. And that happens best when we have these crucial conversations, when we begin to talk about pain with friends, when we choose to listen. We choose to listen. Listen to what is being shared. But also listen to the emotion being expressed. Some of us, we focus on the rationale, the words, 
Nope, that's not true. That's not accurate. Well, I think actually, if you look at... Now listen to the emotion. Can you hear and feel the emotion being expressed? Listen. James 1 verse 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But we often live the other way around, particularly on Twitter. We become quick to be angry, we're quick to speak, and we're very, very slow to listen. And so battles just get worse and worse and worse. I remember a time in in our marriage where we two children, Rachel was pregnant with number three, and we were under pressure. There's a lot going on. I was traveling a huge amount, and I'd been invited to go and lead worship at this large event in Australia, which was an amazing privilege, amazing opportunity, hugely exciting. And as a family, we headed over to Australia. And what was meant to be this really joyous moment actually was a really painful experience. We were in a hotel, kids were not sleeping because of jet lag. I was trying to lead worship. I was feeling, you know, humanly all this pressure about leading well and not screwing it up. But Rach was carrying all this frustration and hurt towards me. And and I was feeling more and more cross with her. Can't you support me in this moment of pressure? And the conference finished and we were not doing great. To be honest, it's one of the few times in our marriage where I realized, sheesh, this isn't just a quick... I'm sorry, let's have a chat and let's kiss and make up. This needs some serious contending, some serious talking and reflecting. And we went into a conversation and everything within me wanted to be, do you understand how hard I'm working? Do you understand the pressure I'm under? Do you understand what it's like to try and lead all of this stuff and also be a father and a husband? And I have to then deal with your resentment. I'm feeling cross. I wanted to... Go for it. But as we chatted, I chose, I tried to do the work of listening. And I began to hear that actually my travel, which you can spiritualize it for, it's for the kingdom, it's for ministry, but it's a lot of it's for your own gain and career, isn't it? If we're really honest. And what my travel and decisions had communicated was that my ministry matters more to me than you and my family and that needed unpicking and I began to realize that Rachel had made significant sacrifices in being a stay-at-home mother you know Rachel's amazing leader and communicator and so that choice of being at home in a world of Peppa Pig and routines and mashed banana which is awful that was incredibly costly and an honor and a privilege to do but that was costly and I'd failed to fully appreciate that and honor it. And as I tried to listen, I tried to make choices and decisions that would fight for our relationship. One thing is I, I stopped traveling for a year. I you know, pulled out of any engagement I had abroad and I was home for the family. And we made some decisions about how we could better set up our marriage to flourish and thrive. Now, I use that example mainly because it makes me look good as someone who listened. (laughs) But in our marriage, (laughs) in our marriage, the truth be told, more often than not, it's been Rachel. It's been Rachel who's given up the right to win, who's surrendered, who's been incredibly kind and gracious and forgiving and patient. 
But in your friendships, give up the right to win. Third thing is this, let go of offence. Ruth Graham, who was married to the late Billy Graham, the amazing evangelist, she says this, a good marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Now, I think any relationship, siblings, parent, child, friends, work colleagues, if you're going to be in a consistent, long-term friendship, you need to learn the art of forgiving. And forgiving is hard because there's all this complex swirl going on within us. But peacemakers, children of God, you and me, we need to learn to overlook offence. That's why cancel culture, in my opinion, is anti the gospel. I have no time for it. People need to be held to account. People need justice in certain situations, absolutely. And I'm all for a challenge culture. But this idea that you just eradicate and remove someone just seems to go against the heart of God who forgives again and again, who lifts us up from the slimy pits. He who's without sin, you cast the first stone. And Proverbs 19.11 says this, those with good sense are slow to anger and it is their glory to overlook an offence. It is to your glory to overlook an offence where you've been hurt because forgiveness is hard. C.S. Lewis puts it brilliantly, everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something or someone to forgive. Then suddenly, ooh, that's a bit tougher. And when we hold on to offence, it's like these weights that we carry around everywhere we go. Luke, can you just pop up here? It's like you take a rucksack. You know, you got your rucksack, you're going around your everyday. And come out here, Luke, come and stand here. Um, and what happens, put it on your back, mate, um, is someone offends you. Maybe they forget to message you on your birthday. Thankfully, I messaged Luke on his birthday. But you, they forget, and it's, oh, that, that's a bit, um, that hurts, the fact that they'd forget and no message from that. I thought we were quite close. And, and so you've got a bit of weight that you're carrying around. I said, just come and stand up here. And, and then, then suddenly you hear that this friend of yours is holding a dinner party and you weren't invited. And you're seeing all, all the pictures on Instagram of lovely food, and like you weren't invited. It's like, oh, that really stings. I can't believe you did that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is all hypothetical. And, uh, and then, then this friend, Luke, Luke begins to unpack some of his sordid history to his friend. And, and the person doesn't listen well. There's a sense of judgment and Luke feels like I have just bared my soul and you have just not listened or loved me or comforted me and been a good friend in that moment. And we carry this, oh, this weight. And this weight, this bag's getting quite heavy now, isn't it? Keep walking around a bit. And Luke, everywhere he goes, into his work, into his marriage, into his family, all his friendships, he's carrying this. It's beginning to weigh him down. It's affecting his back, his posture. You know, when he tries to relax, he's aware. And, and then, then you hear that this friend of yours has been critical behind your back. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and they've, you've heard that they've been really unkind and you just feel completely betrayed. Well, now... 
you're really feeling the weight of this. You can't escape this. You, you have a day off. You're going on holiday, but you're still carrying this. And now it's, you're carrying it into every relationship. So that sense of betrayal or that hurt or where you feel you've been, um, yeah, someone hasn't cared for you, you're seeing it in every relationship. So you're picking up on tiny things in other relationships. That person, they're going to reject me. That person, they're not going to be safe for me. And so suddenly, it's just affecting everything. And the only way to be free is you've got to let go of the offense. Just hold that set, Luke. For some, before you go in to that crucial conversation with that friend you're hurt with, let go of the offense before God. Because while you're carrying all this weight, there's a good chance that you're going to jump in and say something that you regret. You're not going to navigate that conversation, that sensitive conversation well. So you need to, God, you know what? That really hurt. That that person would gossip about me, would say that about me, but I choose to let go of that offense. You let it go. And, and, and then you take the offense of, do you know what? That did hurt that I shared my soul and they didn't respond well, but I'm going to let that go, Lord. And we keep praying and it's a journey. And it's like, do you know what? You know, that dinner party, that did look nice. And, you know, the little prawn starter thing, it did look nice. And, and all my other friends were there and that is painful, but I'm going to let go of that offense. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, okay, do you know what? They probably had a busy day. I'm going to let go that they didn't text me on my birthday. And you let go of that offence. And then suddenly, bit by bit, it's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. You just get rid of all of that stuff that is holding you back. And you are now free. Woohoo! Thank you, Luke. Most relationships break apart because people are not willing to let go of the offence. Who are the people in your life where you need to forgive and you need to move on? Colossians 3 verse 13 says, bear with one another and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Let go of offence. Final thing, choose to bless. Choose to bless. When you are hurt, the last thing you want is to see that person prosper. Have you had that experience of friends hurt you? You're feeling really gutted and you go to a party and you see them in this corner crying and suddenly you feel all compassionate. Oh, that's, I hate the thought of them being upset. But if you go to a party and you see them dancing on the dance floor, you know, surrounded by everyone, you're like, oh, that good for nothing, you know, bah! it's painful. But the way of Jesus is to bless those who persecute you. Matthew 5, 44, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you're to pray and to bless your enemies, you certainly need to pray and bless those who've hurt you in your life. And when you pray for someone and when you ask God to bless them and to work in their lives, it's really hard to stay angry with that person. It's really hard for your heart not to be moved and to change. And I'd love all of us, under the inspiration of the Spirit, to be thinking, who do I need to bless? Who do I need to live in the opposite spirit? Because the world will judge and cancel and hold grudges. But Jesus, you're calling me to do this radical, countercultural thing and to bless them. Just this week, I, I was preparing this talk and I came out and I found on our hall table this birthday card that had been written to one of our children. 
don't know why it was there, because this person's birthday was a while ago. But it's this handmade card, you know, beautiful, right? Happy birthday. And then I opened it up and it said this. I know that you and I don't particularly get on with each other, but I still made you a card, so happy birthday. <laughs> I'm like, this kid is like a relational guru, you know? <laughs> he is way ahead of the curve. Bit of tension, not necessarily an easy connection in their relationship, but he's choosing to bless. I love that. I remember a moment in my life where I was deeply hurt by someone and it really scarred me. And to be honest, I still carry some of those wounds and conversations were had, tried to understand what had gone on. But I felt um, deeply wronged and I had to do the hard work of letting go of offence, giving up the right to win. But I didn't want to carry the pain of this for the rest of my life. And there was a moment where we were praying, God, what, what do I do? And I felt the Lord say, you need to bless this person. And so how, God, do I bless this person? Well, I found out this person was in financial difficulty. And so Rachel and I chatted and prayed and we chose to, to bless by giving this person anonymously a large sum of money. In fact, for us back then, it was hugely significant, a sacrificial sum of money. And I'd love to say, we gave the money and woohoo, you know, he's now, you know, BFF and it's all sorted. No, there's still complexity there. But in choosing to bless, I believe I became a little bit more like Jesus. And that is an amazing thing. Because sometimes we choose the path that says, I don't know how this is going to land, but I just want to do it like you would do it, Jesus Christ. And aren't you glad for Jesus, who made the first move to reach into our hearts and to draw us home? Aren't you glad for a Savior who gave up the right to win, was crucified on a cross, beaten, was buried in a tomb, so that we could be forgiven and restored and know life everlasting. Aren't you glad for a Saviour who forgives us, not just once, but again and again and again, once for all, from eternity to eternity, as far as the East is from the West, that's how far He's forgiven us. Aren't you glad? And aren't you glad for a Heavenly Father who chooses to bless us? To say, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I'm going to fill you with my love. I'm going to fill you with my peace. I'm going to draw you close. I'm going to walk every step of this painful life with you until at last I welcome you home. And we spend eternity that there'll be no more sickness, no more strife, no more division, no more gossip, no more betrayal, no more abuse, no more suffering, but life everlasting blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God amen why don't we stand and I know what I'm sharing is painful it's painful and I know so many here this un, kind of opens up wounds past experiences, the reality of the tension of living in complex relationships. But 
as I was preparing this, I'm just so deeply aware, God, I need you. I need your spirit, the spirit of Jesus that helps us to live like Jesus, helps us to forgive, helps us to find a way through, helps us to be peacemakers. And so we're going to ask that the spirit will come. We've got a few minutes and then we'll go and pick up the kids and move on. But Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Lord, we are living in a world that is so broken and so divided that has no understanding of what it means to be peacemakers. No understanding of the model we see in Jesus. And Lord, we can't do it on our own. Lord, we're being shaped and molded constantly about what we should do when someone wrongs us. But Lord, I pray for a rewiring and a resetting of our thinking right now. I pray that your spirit would come and begin to give us keys that will unlock breakthrough moments in relationships. Spirit of the living God, come where we are carrying such hurt and pain. We may never get justice. It may never be everything we long for it to be, but Lord, help us to respond in a Christ-like way. And I know for me, I can't do that in my own strength. Come, Holy Spirit, and just receive. And I just I invite you almost, if you've got two hands out, one hand to be carrying the pain, bringing it before Jesus, that brokenness, that fractured relationship, that tense situation. And in the other hand, be saying, God, Spirit, come. Fill me. Equip me. Empower me. For some today, the next step isn't going to be restoration, but it's going to be you forgiving. And that's amazing. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastreet.org or follow us on Instagram at Gastreet Church.